Good evening. So uh, tonight's topic is uh, a Parsha topic, uh, very much connected to uh, Parsha Svayetse. So that's our inspiration officially. But we can give it a couple of other connections. Uh, first of all, it's, it happens to be that this is our third straight marriage-related topic, our third straight wedding-related topic. So that's a, a shtickle of chazaka. Uh, this is definitely a, a time when we can use uplifting, inspiring, joyous topics. And uh, the whole theme of why it is specifically that even amongst all the tsar and the war and the challenges that we see that people have been makbid to go ahead with their wedding plans, even under extraordinary circumstances. So there's a, a lot to be said about that. And I've uh, been involved recently in... <coughs> writing about that and commenting about that, and we spoke about that two weeks ago. But in the same spirit as discussing that and noting that, so to continue talking about this subject for a little bit is also hopefully contributing to the effects of that. And this topic specifically, as we'll see, also relates to themes of Kibur Aveim and Kibur Achagadol, and that topic, Kibbutz Aim specifically, is rooted in the sod of Fakara Satov. So here we are, Orla Thanksgiving. So it's appropriate also to stop and to take note of the concept of Fakara Satov. Arguably, Kibbutz Aim is the mitzvah that comes to express the theme of Fakara Satov and to formalize it. So as we acknowledge the message of Thanksgiving, and Akar Satov is also a theme which has particular resonance with all of the difficulties that Klai Yisrael is going through right now. So to acknowledge the importance of being able to recognize the brachos that we have. So Akar Satov takes on added prominence as well. So... Yeah, by a little bit of an extension, this theme is connected to that, so for that reason as well, we have a, a timely component to it. So, with all that, so what we'd like to consider is the reaction of Lavan to <coughs> Yaakov, or particularly the belated reaction, that here... Yaakov had arranged with Lavan to marry Rachel, and turns out that the switcheroo pulled, and he ends up marrying Leah instead. And when he discovers what's happened, so he confronts Lavan, and he says, why did you fool me? And Lavan is unapologetic, and he says basically that he acted properly, because this is how we do things here. And Leosa came from Komenu that it wouldn't be done the other way. It's not proper to do it the other way. That uh, marry off the younger before the older is not appropriate. It's not how things are done. So is that the case? Is that true? Does that have any weight in Judaism? Or is that just the excuse given by somebody who certainly doesn't represent Torah and certainly doesn't represent righteousness. So where exactly does that fit in as a concept, as a rule, as a preference? So there is quite a lot 
that is said about this, actually, is quite an extensive literature. And over the next few minutes, we'll just try to dip our toe into a little bit and uh, discuss a little bit about some of the aspects and some of the angles that emerge from it. So, first of all, what jumps out at you right away, if you want to consider, is there any truth to this, is, wait a minute, aren't we talking about a machlokes Yaakov and Lavan here? And if that's the case, so how could there be any question? So, if there's any possibility to be entertained that Lavan could be right, or it could be right at all, so where does Yaakov fit in? And why would we not be assuming that he's right? So the Orachayim comments on this, and he assumes that there is a possibility here, but it would be tied into both local custom and to the insistence upon that custom. So it would be up to the father to waive the custom, should he choose to, if there was a custom in the first place. So Yaakov's complaint, why did you fool me, was about the fact that why is he only bringing up the custom now? That why did he not say so when the original deal was made that Yaakov would work for Rachel, so clearly he could have said something at that point, so to wait till now, so for sure there was some deception involved in that, so that that was the nature of Yaakov's objection. So his primary complaint was, why didn't you tell me before? So that's a part of what he's saying here. And had there been an awareness, so what would that have meant for him? So then, if there's a kapeda, so then he would have gone along with it. But if he, there's no kapeda, then apparently it's not something you have to worry about. And he had the right to assume there was no kapeda because Lavan didn't say anything. Uh, the idea that Lavan was not mentioning it till now, of course, is somewhat suspicious. And uh, there are those who suggest that maybe his whole notion of invoking a minig here is simply a strategy to be able to advocate his monetary position or his legal position. And he wants to claim that a minig mevatel tenai, as a position of the shach in Choshim Mishpat in Sivan Samachalaf, as Lavan probably pointed out the chapter and verse, that there is a, such a notion that even when you have a formal condition, but if there is a local custom, so then that might be able to cancel out that formal condition. And that's what he was trying to argue. So that's the one possibility. Others also, again, if this is indeed to be the conclusion that we would follow Lavan against Yaakov, so address other aspects of the issue. In the Chuvis Ginze Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Schwartz, in Simon Kuf Beis, so he has some very creative answers here. The Marsham has a similar approach where they basically suggest Al Pidar that he had an argument that Rachel was actually not considered to be the younger one, having to do with their both being twins and how exactly you assess that, and it has to do also with his own history. So uh, different approaches to that question, but basically surrounding the idea that it wasn't so much that Yaakov argued on the principle, but that he argued on the assessment here of who actually was the oldest. But perhaps the Yisod itself, he would have acknowledged had he agreed about the 
question of who's the oldest, and therefore going forward, it wouldn't be a rejection of Yaakov's position to apply it in other contexts. Still are other questions, even if we're not looking at the other side, if we're not looking at Yaakov's stature, so what about Lavan's stature? So the question of learning from people who are unsavory characters and assuming that what they have to say should be authoritative is certainly raising an eyebrow, so why would we assume that whatever Lovin says should be listened to? So that's in general a question, and it comes up in other contexts as well. So, for example, there is a vort that was said both by the Paris Yosef in his introduction, and also by the Torah Tamima in his Sefer Baruch Shamar, in his commentary on the Siddur, where he talks there about the fact that we start off every day quoting Bilam, we say Matovu. So they both have this Dvar Torah, the same Dvar Torah, where they ask a stira. It's not the kind of stira that would keep you up at night, it's the kind of question you only ask if you have an answer. But uh, note that it seems like it's a contradiction. The Mishnah in Perkeyavo says, Right, that who is wise, one who learns from everyone. And yet, the Gemara also says, So it's a terrible contradiction. How do we know which one is actually the Chacham? So again, maybe that's not the kind of question necessarily would drive you crazy. But they have an answer, the same answer, that we normally think it means one who anticipates the future. So they suggest maybe it doesn't mean that. Maybe it means that you don't focus on the molid. You don't look so much at who is saying something, but you look rather at the nolad. You look at the idea. And if the idea makes sense, so then you follow that, then you don't worry so much about who it is who says it. So therefore, it's really the same idea of halomed mikol adam, that you're focusing on the concept rather than on the originator of the concept, rather than on the molud. You look at the nolud, you lomed mikol adam, and that would be the idea in both places. So if it makes sense, so then perhaps you should follow it. So it happens to be that in the case of Lavan, so we do have a few other things that we are apparently accepting from him in this context. So first of all, the idea of waiting a year, well, that's, uh, we had found that earlier actually, uh, with the broader family, in the context of Rivka, but the idea of waiting a year, so that is brought in the Gemara and Rishonim, as we know, even though it's not the custom today. And also, what he says in the next Pasuk, that you should wait a week before marrying the second wife. So that's because of the idea of that we don't want to have one rejoicing, one celebration impinge on the other. So that's something we accept the halacha. The Talmud Bavli attributes it to a different source, but the Talmud Yerushalmi quotes it from here. So there is a little bit of a tradition of learning from Lavan and his family. So it's not totally a surprise that maybe there is some possibility that if we think what he says makes sense, that maybe there would be what to learn from him. Along similar lines, there are those who raise the question that we also have a principle, Tosus and Mary Cotton talks about, that ain't lemaiden in the Matan Torah. So we also don't learn halachos from before Matan Torah. So how does that 
perfect things here. So there's a similar approach that there's a Yisod that's brought from Rav Yaakov Chagiz in his farm, and Shos uh, Yaakov and others quote this, a number of Svarim quote this, that if something seems mistaber, so then we would learn it also from before Matan Torah. It's something that's a total Chiddush out of nowhere, so then maybe not, but if something makes sense, so then we would accept it even from before Matan Torah. It wouldn't necessarily have to have the authority of a mitzvah that would wait for Matan Torah. So those Svaras are invoked, and there's also a discussion about this in the Sefer Hadrash Hayun. So that's significant because uh, we'll mention later this is consistent with the author's opinion, his Truvis. And the author is Rivaran Levine. Uh, Rivaran Levine, in this case, was the grandfather of uh, Rivaran Levine, who I was a student of in Yeshiva University. So the original Rivaran Levine is the, no, was known as the Reisharov, so Reisharov from Poland. The author of a number of Svarim, and two of them we'll mention in the next few minutes, but the first. Here is a Sefer Al-Torah, Hadrash V'Hayun, where he suggests that the issue here, as we'll note further, is apparently rooted in the halachos of Kavid, Kibbut Aveim, Kibbut Achagadol, and therefore this is not about learning Mikodamat and Torah, learning from Rishayim, that's a, a din from the Torah. It's just a question of what is included in that din. So here, this is telling us that this is related to issues of COVID. So once we know that, so then there is what to incorporate. So beyond this, uh, this idea, citation of this Pasuk, from the words of Lavan, we do find it showing up in some halachic sources. And notably, there's a Tosfus in Kedushin, and after in Beis Aleph, where there is a citation there from Rabbeinu Tam, that he was involved in a story once, uh, involving Ravoshia Halevi, who apparently was Makadesh, the daughter of a certain Ashir, and he didn't say which one. So they were willing, Rabbeinu Tam was willing to assume that you could take it as a given that it was the oldest one, and he quoted this Pasuk as an indication that that would be the truth. So whether that means that it's an actual Issa according to him, or maybe simply that it's a recognized minig, and that therefore, if nothing else was clarified, then we can take this as possibly being the case. It's not 100% clear, but at least it means that there's some kind of Jewish weight to it in the eyes of Rabbeinu Tam. And there's also a Taz in Hilchus Nadarim who quotes that, in terms of interpreting what people mean when they take Nadarim. And uh, there are also sources based on the Rashi and Parshish Masay, and then a little bit more so, his grandson, the Rashbam, and his commentary to Baba Basra, who specifically quotes this Pasuk, in explaining the Pasuk and Parshish Masay, where the daughters of Tzlovchad are listed, and Rashi explains that they're listed in their birth order, which was also the order in which they got married. So, connecting that Pasuk to this Pasuk, the Rashbam seems to suggest that there is uh, such an Indian that even in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, so that was the practice, that the children got married in order. So, what would be the basis of this? So, as we indicated a few minutes ago, the Shach in Yeridea and Reish Memdalid, so he quotes from the Bach, and that he maintains this position that we shouldn't precede the Nisuan of the Katan before the Gadol, even if the Gadol is Gadol, even the Katan is Gadol Bechachma, because of the Halachos of Kavod. 
So it seems to be the way he's presenting it that this is an issue of the respect to be given to the older brother. And the <coughs> older brother, so does that mean specifically the older brother, or would that include older sisters as well? So many poskim assumed, as a given, that this does include all older siblings. There were some who disputed that. There were some who assumed the position of the Rambam and the Sefer HaMitzvos, that the din of respect for an older brother is rooted in the concept of Bechor. And in such a understanding, it would only apply to older brothers and really only to the oldest brother. So in that understanding, it's more limited. But the Rambam, but the Ramban, and other Rishonim probably also understood it differently. We'll go into their logic a little bit in a few minutes. So to them, it applied to all older siblings. So then that would be the case here also. It would be applicable to older siblings of every rank and also to sisters as well. Uh, there were those who questioned this, uh, the Shavos and others uh, questioned this, even though there were those who pointed out that also in this week's parasha, so we find that Rachel is harshly criticized by Chazal because she speaks in front of Leah. So that seems to indicate that there is such a notion, even by older sisters, that one has to act with respect. So the Shvasyakov himself didn't accept that. He said that that was part of a broader concept of just not speaking in front of those who are older than you. That's not a detail specifically of covered for an older sibling, and that's not necessarily a raya. It's interesting in general because their chazal are particularly critical, very harsh terms, of Rachel for doing that, and seems a little bit overstated. So there are those suggest, I think Schwab suggests in a safer that that wasn't just because of that, but it was also because of the content that they were talking about her father, and therefore it was an act of bizarring to the father, and it's an interesting interpretation because what she was saying about the father perhaps could have been interpreted as purposeful and toelless and maybe could have been justified, except that once we see also that she had this attitude that she was ready to skip protocol and to speak in front of those older than her, so then that indicated that there was an attitude of a little bit of disrespect, so therefore all of it then became part of her so maybe that's perhaps what that Pasuk is and what that Chazal is suggesting. So whether or not this is applicable to older sisters, just as with older brothers, is itself a discussion among those who feel there is a issue of Kavod. Among those was, again, Rivar and Levine. So as we noted a few minutes ago, so his explanation and his Sefer on Chovish is consistent with the ruling that he adopted in his Sefer Shailas and Shuvis, which is called Avnei Chayfetz. So in that Sefer, so he takes this position that he thinks that there is an issue of Kavod that would prohibit a younger sibling from getting married before an older sibling, and he's unusually machmer about this, but it's consistent consistent with how he understands it in his other safer. And he writes in a surprising way that this isn't going to impact on the mitzvah obligation of the younger sibling because he is honest. He basically doesn't have a choice in the matter. And honest, he puts it. He is bound by the rules of the rabbis. 
But as he notes, as do others who invoke this also, that even if one assumes that there is a notion of covet that plays a role here, so we also find that covet is subject to mechila. So if the older sibling is mochel, so then that should make a difference, and that should then allow the younger sibling to uh, proceed with his plans. So that would be the attitude that the Adnei Chayfetz, even with all of his chumras, he writes that it's pashat, that's quite obvious that that should be the case. And that's how others assumed as well. A uh, notable exception is Ramosha Sternbach in his Chuvas in Chalik Aleph, the Chuvas Van Hagas. So he writes that yes, it's true that Mechila should be possible, but the problem is you never know if the Mechila is sincere and the Mechila might just come from public pressure. And also, he writes a Chiddush here that there's also an Indian of Tsar that it's really going to cause anguish to the older sibling. And when it comes to anguish, so then we don't find that Mechila works. So there's what you could argue about that, that uh, really we might mean different kind of Mechila, that Mechila before the fact doesn't necessarily mean that you can't revoke it afterwards, a whole discussion, how exactly to understand that whole sugya. He also has a guideline there, it's a little hard to know how to apply that. So he says, so practically speaking, so then what would that mean? So he says it would mean that the younger sibling should wait. So how long should he wait? They can't uh, wait forever. So he should wait a year. So what happens after a year, it's still going to cause the same bizarre, presumably. So the basic mechanics aren't going to necessarily change then. So it's hard to understand exactly the practicalities of that. But he also does mention, and this may play a role even uh, for those who disagree, that he says the question of whether there really is tsar, whether there really is covet, perhaps, is also going to depend on what the factors are. So if it's known that the older brother, let's say, has uh, certain kpedas, so let's say he's what we would call picky, which he refers to in Hebrew language, he's a bararan, he's choosy, so then, okay, so people know that. So it's not going to be a bizarre to him. It's not going to be a source of tsar because he's choosing to wait till he finds somebody who he's happy with. And that's his choice. But if it's something that it's just nobody is giving him a chance, okay, so then they, maybe that would be a different story. Uh, there are those who assume that there are other factors at play here. So, for example, in the Chuvas Beis Yechezkel, in Simon Samach, so he writes that the only issue would be that if the father is manipulating things here, so if the father is giving a dowry, let's say, with his daughters, and he's giving the dowry to the younger daughter to accelerate her shidduch before the older daughter, so then he's the one doing it, and there, that's the problem, and the problem, as he understands it, he doesn't necessarily tie it to issues of kavod, but to issues of kina, that that's creating jealousy by pushing things out of order. And he connects it, again, not to sources about kavod, but the Gemara and Shabbos and David and Mibes about the, I guess, uh, perhaps ironically, about the behavior of Yaakov in a different context. That the Gemara looks to Yaakov as having a problematic attitude with Yosef, the Gemara says that uh, one should not 
differentiate between his children, and that causes fighting, and that causes kena, so invoking that idea, so that's how he understands that would be the problem. So I guess you could say, if the Gemara is saying that Yaakov was guilty of that, so maybe that's why here also he wasn't as sensitive to it in the same way, if that's the issue, but who knows. So there is a, a different point then that he's bringing, so, but the base Cheskel's position is, so that's all if it was the father's doing, but if it was the choice of the children themselves, or the husband coming from outside, some decides somebody else comes and says he's interested in the younger daughter specifically, and the father didn't have anything to do with it, so then that wouldn't be any violation of this issue, it's all specifically about the father choosing to manipulate things in that way, and therefore being matelkina between them. And the Chuvis Marsham, so he assumes, this is in Chelek Gimel and Simon Kuflam and Vav, that this is not really a matter of Isr it's a matter of Nimus and Derech it's a matter of policy in general, and there can be other considerations that may also impact things, so that also has to be considered. And he also writes that he thinks that the issue then is actually only with two sisters and not with brothers. And when it comes to brothers, because there's a mitzvah of Puravu, so then that's a different consideration and that itself would have an impact. There's a similar position in the Tshuva's Chalkis Yaakov, who also quotes the Masham and takes a similar position, that he thinks that the sources perhaps do indicate that there's enough reason to factor in this consideration. But, again, if there are other considerations at play, then that would be a reason to rely on those considerations. He mentions the case that was there specifically was that the shidduch was already made and there was already a relationship between the two. As he writes, uh, Bismanazah is already now a bond created, as is the habit nowadays, as he notes, between the young man and the young woman, and therefore it's already not going to be healthy if you're going to delay things, and it's going to be problematic. So that's enough of a reason to say that that outweighs the other factors, and to proceed. So there were those who took these attitudes, but uh, maybe most notably, in terms of authority and influence, was uh, Ramosha Feinstein. And Ramosha and his Shuvis and Avanazar Chalik Bays and Simon Aleph and Igris Moshe. So he very strongly and without any question he said it's Pashit and Bar it's obvious to him that there is no problem at all with a younger sibling getting married for an older sibling and not even Lachatchila and there is nothing at all to be worried about. And uh, you know Ramosha's Derech often was not a quote from a lot of the Achronim. But he does acknowledge the shach that we mentioned before that some point to, and some of those other sources, such as the Tosas and Kedushins. The Tosas and Kedushin is not talking about an Isser, it's talking about just if you have to guess something that wasn't spelled out, so what may have been the assumption. But as far as the shach, he says, those who think that that's what the shach means, that kibaracha gadol requires a younger sibling to wait around until the older sibling finds the right one, he says, tos gomer. This is a complete mistake. It's a complete misreading of what the shach was saying, quoting from the Bach. He said what the shach meant is that if you have 
both children are engaged already. Yeah, both children have their shiduchim ready. They have their intended. And then the question is, just in terms of scheduling the weddings, so which one should you do first? So then, okay, COVID plays a role in terms of simple kadimas, in terms of simple prioritizing when you're going to just have to pick one to do before the other. So that's what the shach was talking about. But to say that one should wait around until the other finds the right one, he says, to him that that doesn't make sense and that that would mean that the younger one is being asked to suspend his mitzvah obligation and his religious pursuits and everything else and it's not his getting his older brother married is not his mitzvah and there's no way to see that as his responsibility and he's very strong and quite confident that there isn't anything else here to worry about and he also notes that to those who would say, so he doesn't quote Rosh he wrote his tshuva before Rosh but he anticipated this uh, objection of Rosh and he says, to those who would say that there's an Indian of Tsar here that shouldn't be given to Mechila, so he says, that's not true, he says, because the Tsar shouldn't be there, because the Tsar is connected to jealousy, and that's a bad midah, that shouldn't be encouraged or tolerated, so therefore we don't recognize that tsar, essentially, and that's not something that we're going to factor in, it's what he seems to maintain, and he says at most, maybe it would be that the father, similar a little bit to what the Beis Chesko said, that if the father is helping in a certain way, so that maybe creates tsar, if he's really pushing things. So, okay, so then maybe that's a question about how much the father should push things. But for the younger brother, that's not his responsibility at all. And if the older brother feels jealous of him, so then that's his mistake. And that's his unjustified sire. And that's not appropriate. And then he goes on also, to, in a related way, to talk about the concept of busha. He says, maybe there's embarrassment. And we know that halbanas panim, that embarrassment is considered to be a very chamer thing thing of tremendous severity, so maybe we should say that that's something that the younger brother has to worry about. So here again, he doesn't think at all that that's the responsibility of the younger brother, but he also then goes into great lengths to say that there really shouldn't be any embarrassment involved, that people understand that there are all kinds of considerations involved in why somebody may delay marriage, and they have all kinds of personal preferences and other types of calculations, and there's no reason for anyone to see that as imposing any kind of humiliation on anyone. So the fact that the younger sibling found the one that he likes before the older one does, so then, or the older one may have any other kind of consideration in waiting for a different date, for a different time, and therefore Moshe assumes that there shouldn't be any kind of a factor of Boshas, certainly not any kind of an objective embarrassment associated with it, and that he takes as Pasha Dubar. Uh, it's also noteworthy that Rishnambach, who took a different attitude practically, but he seems to accept a lot of the same stories, even though he comes to a different conclusion, because he notes that if you have these self-evident ideas that would reduce the tsar or the embarrassment, then he would agree. I mean, he was actually saying that it shouldn't even be subject to mechila because of all that. Ramosh was saying he doesn't even need mechila. But uh, Rav Shermbach was being very machmer in the other direction, 
and taking in these factors, but he was also acknowledging that there were certain factors that could change the perception of that. So Rav Moshe said those factors are basically self-evident and always there, and in any event, he doesn't think that Kavad would mandate such a waiting, and so you don't even need Mechila, and you don't have the right to be Makbid, and it seems like Rav Moshe's Shuvah is in general more influential on this point, even though, again, the notion of Minig that uh, Lavan was invoking probably plays a role everywhere, but there seems to be a widespread understanding, I would imagine, like Rav Moshe Feinstein, who seems to have been very influential on this point, and uh, as far as seem to have been taken with a lot of appreciation. Uh, you should note also that it seems like there are other reasons as well to take the position that uh, that Ramosha took and to maybe also ask a significant question against those who disagreed because to consider the whole issue of covered as giving a reason for the younger child to wait seems to be problematic for internal hilchas kibbutav aim reasons. So first of all, the obligation of cover for an older brother. So this is a machlokas as to where it comes from. So the Rambam's position, as we noted, so that's based on the idea that the brother, the oldest brother specifically, this would really only apply to the Bukhor, that the Bukhor is... Yerish Gedulas Aviv, that he inherits the status of the parent, so he's like a third parent. So he gets covered because of that. But the Ramban, who disagrees, and the Ramban will be the basis to extend it to older siblings of both types and of any ranking. So the Ramban's logic is based on the assumption that this is what the parents would want, that the parents would want that there should be a hierarchy in the family, and that the younger siblings should respect the older siblings. And since that's the assumption, that's what parents want, so therefore we assume that covet should apply. So if that's the case, so that all of the covet being shown to an older sibling is a function of the mitzvah of Kibbutz. So it seems difficult to plug this particular concern into halacha because there are many other reasons why a parent may tell a child not to marry at a certain time or a certain person. And the din in the Ramah is that we assume that that's not within their rights. That the Ramah quotes from the Maharik three reasons why a parent doesn't have the right to tell a child who to marry or when to marry. So it's hard to understand why that should be true in general, but not in this case. That specifically, that if this detail of Kibbutz aim that there should also be covered, that should be extended to an older sibling, and that this is included in that, seems to be a unusually hard to explain exception to the general clause that a parent doesn't have the right to be makbid when they may have many other reasons much more understandable to be makbid. So 
that's hard to understand Bechlal, why that should be extended. So then you could say it's a kasha on all these sources that do extend it, but again, the most authoritative source that does so is the Shach, and we saw that Moshe thought that the Shach was being misunderstood. So maybe that's itself something to factor in. So that's all, again, if you're assuming let's say like the Ramban, that this is all a detail in Kibra Ve'em. But what if you say like the Ramban that the Bukhor, if we're talking about the Bukhor specifically, so he has his own covet, so still it's not greater than Kibra Ve'em. So it's actually a question in general how to assess the covet to an older sibling, which may depend, as Menchus discusses, on whether it's coming from themselves or whether it's coming from the parent. But it shouldn't be greater than the parent. So if the parent already doesn't have a right to be makbid in general, so then that should presumably also be the case that it's not going to extend for this purpose either. So whether the kavod goes through to the sibling because of the parent or goes directly to the sibling, but either case, it would seem that if the Ramah Paskins, that a parent doesn't have the right to tell a child not to marry who they want to marry or when they want to marry, so then that should seem to apply here also, and that would seem to be a hard position to dismiss. So that essentially is Ramosh's position. It doesn't explain all this lumdus, but it seems to be, with all that taken into account, seems to indeed be a hard position to dismiss. Now, in general, that question of when it, uh, what happens when a parent disagrees with a child's choice of spouse or when to get married, so indeed, yes, that's what the Maharik says, that as the Ramah adopts, that the child wins, essentially, that the parent doesn't have the right to tell them what to do for three reasons, one of them being specifically that, the view in the Rishonim, that the parent doesn't have the right to tell a child what to do outside of their service. But uh, there are aspects that are subject to machlokas, and as Chaznesh uh, and Ritziv argued on various points, and always uh, advise people that when situations like that come up, so the path to happiness is not for either side to say, well, here's the Ramah, here's the Marek, oh no, here's the Chaznesh, here's the Ritziv. That's not going to bring harmony to anyone. And that means that when there's an absolute irreconcilable conflict, okay, so the halacha says, here's the side that wins. But as a matter of practicality, so we try not to have that resolve these issues of major life happiness, and there should be a consensus that hopefully we should try to bring all the sides to the same position and to harmony and to respect where the other is coming from and to be able to find a point of commonality and to find happiness through that. So that's, in general, the case when these issues come up in any kind of a conflict between the parent and the child in terms of marital plans within reason. And presumably that should be true here also. So it would seem that that is uh, perhaps, if that is indeed the, the minig, if it's fair to say that that's probably a reasonable position to understand, that on the one hand, just to sum up, so you have Ramosha Feinstein saying that he thinks the issues of COVID are really not relevant at all, and it's simply completely not a thing. And those, uh, it's an understandable position and perhaps one that many have taken as authoritative. Uh, and uh, even for those who think that COVID is a factor, so many of them assume that Nechila is 
a element here. It's interesting that part of the machlokas between the Rambam and the Ramban, maybe who is it who has the right to be mochel, that uh, according to the Ramban, it may actually be up to the parents to be mochel. The parents may have ultimate right to be mochel. So if the parents want that the younger sibling should proceed with his plans, so they may have a veto over the brother's hakbada or the older sibling's hakbada because ultimately it's about what they want. So that's an additional element of, in terms of calculating who has the right to bear the mechila here. But that's even within those who assume that there is an issue of covet. But again, these issues of covet in this particular area of life are really best addressed through consensus and through, if necessary, bringing in third parties in order to bring about harmony. But uh, as a matter of general policy, so that's true with all these things. But again, it's noteworthy that there are strong reasons to question whether covet is really a dominant factor anyway, as your motion noted, and that even the shach's invoking of that may actually refer simply to just the ordering of the two weddings that are already in progress, and that's itself a question. So a lot to figure out about this, and uh, the whole topic, so hopefully is one that at least brings up Freilich Zachin and to continue to focus on issues of Simcha should hopefully be a segula for Klal Yisrael during this difficult time. We now had three weeks in a row of talking about such an end should be a chazaka. And uh, the continued focus of the Jews to, to go ahead with these Simchas and with building families despite the world having such a terrible side around it should continue to be a source of inspiration and should be a path toward Shalom, Bikar of Biyamenu. And as we approach Thanksgiving, we should also continue to have a Kar Satov for all the brachos that Karish Baruch Hu has showered upon us. And through that Hakar Satov, we should be Zoha to have much more. Thank you very much. Thank you.